0: The first lesson for this Sunday is found in the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. And this is the very dramatic conversion of Saul. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, And confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson for this Sunday is found in the book of Revelation chapter 5. And then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one, with seven horns and with eyes which are seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints." And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped this is the word of the lord
1: And after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, "'Bring some of the fish that you have just caught.' When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this, Jesus said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace. In the name of Jesus, our living Lord and Savior. Have you ever played the game, who am I? Several questions are asked one at a time, and after each one, you're invited to guess who am I, the answer to that question. So let's play the game right now. Who am I? Well, he studied under one of the great lecturers of all time. He's a world-famous writer, having penned 13 literary works. His ideas have shaped the attitudes and the fortunes, or the values, I should say, of fortune 500 businessmen, church leaders and world political leaders and countless other people. He has traveled thousands of miles promoting his ideas and building a worldwide empire which employs thousands of men and women and utilizes even more volunteers. And for his efforts, he is censored, he is beaten, he is imprisoned, he is banned from certain cities, and ultimately executed. Who am I? Well, if you guess St. Saul, that's his Hebrew name, or if you guess St. Paul, which is his Roman name, you have answered correctly. This morning we want to spend a few moments digging into the first reading for today. The dynamic conversion of St. Saul. Or Saul to being St. Saul. And so let's take a look at Acts chapter 9. As we look at Acts chapter 9 we see that Paul or St. Saul was a persecutor of Christ's followers. Our text opens up by telling us that Saul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. In fact, Saul is on his way to Damascus with letters in hand so that he might hunt down the followers of the way and have them imprisoned. Ananias, who is later told to go and see Saul, says to the Lord, Lord, I have heard from many about this man and how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. Saul was an evil man. He was evil because he hated Christ. In his eyes, Jesus Christ was a blasphemer of the highest order. A man claiming to be God. And Paul's zeal, or Saul's zeal for his truth, blinded him to the Lord's truth. Here was a man who knew the entire Old Testament, and yet he could not see the Messiah on the pages of the Scriptures. He was blinded. He was blinded by his unbelief. And not only then did did Saul despise and hate Christ... But he also despised and hated the people who believed in Christ, who promoted Christ as the Messiah, those people who followed Christ. For all of Saul's verve and zeal, Saul was a dead man, spiritually dead. He was lost. He was an enemy of Christ. But in our text, we see our gracious and merciful Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord, confronting Saul on the road to Damascus. We read, Now as he went on his way, Saul approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Well, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. With those instructions... Saul rises and he is led to a house in Damascus. Now we see Paul as a penitential person of prayer. The text tells us that Christ blinded Saul. Verses 8 and 9 says, Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And so they led him by the hand and they brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. An encounter with Christ and subsequent blindness drives Saul to his knees in prayer. Something that he desperately needed to do. We read, and now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. I wanted to focus in that little, short sentence that Paul that, that Luke writes when it says that Paul is praying. What do you suppose Saul was praying? Was he praying for healing for his blindness? Was he praying for clarity that would dispel the confusion? And I'm sure his mind was spinning at this time, wondering what in the world is going on here. This Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. It was mind-boggling. Was he praying a prayer of repentance Like maybe for assenting at the death of of Stephen, for he stood by Stephen's side and gave his assent for them to stone Stephen to death. Was he sorry for that? Was he praying a prayer of repentance for persecuting the followers of Christ in Jerusalem? Was he praying a prayer of repentance for not believing Christ's message? Well, the text doesn't tell us directly what it was that Saul was praying for but I would suggest to you that his blindness that in his blindness Saul was beginning to see himself differently he was beginning to see his own sinfulness and his own need for a savior like Jesus and as Saul was beginning to see things about himself he was also beginning to see things about God that he had been blinded to by his own blindness to he was beginning to see God, and more specifically, that Jesus is God in the flesh. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the Messiah, as promised in the Old Testament. That he is the Son of the living God, his Savior. And as Saul comes to this realization, even while he is physically blind, he is beginning to see things and have eyesight that he had never had You might say that this man who was once dead in his trespasses and sins in his unbelief is resurrected to a new life. Why do I suggest that Saul was praying a penitential prayer? Well, because when Ananias arrives at the house of Straight Street, where, where Saul is residing, the Holy Spirit has readied Saul's heart to experience the miracle of spiritual resurrection, of rebirth, through the sacrament of holy baptism. We read in verses 17 through 19, So Ananias departed and he entered the house, and laying his hands on, on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has appeared to you on the road by which you You came and has sent me so that you will regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he arose and was baptized and taking food. He was strengthened. Saul has his sight restored. When Ananias lays his hands on him. And Saul receives the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins when he's baptized in the name of Jesus. In accord with the day of Pentecost when St. Peter instructed the repentant people, repent and be baptized every single one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. So also Saul on this occasion is baptized in Jesus' name and he receives the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. They said that's a spiritual resurrection taking place. A man who was once dead in his sins is now alive in Christ. So you might say that Paul was also pardoned. Verse 18, Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and He could see again, and he got up and was baptized. St. Paul later recounts this conversion experience, this resurrection story, his resurrection story. He recounts it later on in Acts chapter 22. And there in Acts chapter 22, he says that Ananias told him, he said to Paul, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. See, Saul recognized that when he was baptized in the name of Jesus, all of his sins were washed away. To the Galatian Christians, St. Paul says, when God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace was was pleased to reveal his son to me, he sent me as a, gent- as a missionary to the Gentiles. But he was called by grace. Saul recognizes that there was nothing in him that made him worthy to be called by the Lord Jesus Christ. To be, to be a, a child in the family of God, first of all. And secondarily, a, a missionary to the Gentile people. That was solely by grace and grace alone. And this grace was bestowed upon St. Paul as he was baptized in Jesus' name. Every single one of his sins that he had ever committed were forgiven, washed away, remembered no more. He was pardoned for Christ's sake. And as a result, Paul becomes a preacher and a persuader for Jesus Christ. Returning to Paul, God says to Ananias, or referring to Paul, God says to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And then following his conversion, his pardon St. Paul It says says about St. Paul, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Here was a man who once was a champion of destroying the Christian faith, of destroying the name of Jesus Christ. And now we hear after this miraculous resurrection, spiritual resurrection, his conversion, Paul now uses his verve and his excitement for the Lord to go out and proclaim that Jesus is the Lord, that he is the Messiah, the promise, the Savior of the world. So much so that he's persuading many a person to consider Christ as the Messiah and many are even coming to faith in Christ. And he was so persuasive that he who once persecuted Christians now becomes a persecuted Christian himself. God even says, he says, I will show him, referring to Paul, I will show show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And certainly, St. Paul, St. Saul's life was filled with persecution right from the moment, really, of his conversion to faith in Jesus Christ. Later on, writing to the Corinthians, Paul speaks of some of the persecution that he experienced as a follower of Jesus Christ. He said, I have been in prison more frequently, I've been flogged more severely, and I've been exposed to death again and again. And five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was pelted with stones, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea, and I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from false believers." And I've labored and I've toiled and I've gone often without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Yes, St. Paul is a persecuted person. A follower of Jesus Christ. But Paul will not allow that persecution to silence him. Who am I? Well, St. Paul would have said, well, I was once a persecutor of the Christian faith. But by the grace of God, I I recognized my need for a Savior, and I'm a penitential person of prayer coming before the Lord regularly, confessing my sin. Who am I? I'm a pardoned person, pardoned and forgiven of all of my sin because of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Who am I? Well, I'm a persuader, and I'm a proclaimer of this Jesus, for He is the name through which all people can be saved. He is the one, and the only one, who's the mediator between God and men. And who am I? Well, I'm the persecuted one. Persecuted the name of Jesus why have I spent so much time talking about Saint Paul well because I see that in Saint Paul I see in Saint Paul a a prototype of you and me in some ways Saint Paul is a prototype of all followers of Jesus Christ who am I? Who are you? Who are we? Well, we are persecutors. The Bible tells us that we were once enemies of the Lord. Romans 5.10, we were God's enemies. Romans 8, chapter 7, chapter 8, verse 7, the sinful mind is hostile to God. And sadly, even as Christians, as believers in Christ, we who have experienced the rebirth of life continue to be plagued by sin and suffering as a result of that sin. According to our sinful nature, we're plagued until the day we die with this sin, with this hate. There's always a part of us, if I can put it that way, that literally hates Christ and despises Him, that remains hostile to Him. And this is the sad and tragic reality that is the source of so much shame and guilt that we have in our life. It's that which so often burdens us, knowing that we disobey God. The reality is that our truth, that which we believe to be true, blinds us to God's truth. And there's actually times in our life, if you probably look at it, where you go and you say, God, this is a part of my life where you dare not go. Because you're going to speak words that will convict me. And I don't want to be convicted for this in my life, quite frankly. Thank you very much. And so there's whole areas of life that we will try to shut God out of our life. And if he tries to penetrate that area of our life with his word, what do we do? We push back with hostility and stubbornness. And that's why God comes to us as he did with St. Paul. He comes to us and he shows us our sin. Through the law that is spoken, he shows us that there are areas of our life, that all of our life really is influenced by this sin And so he drives us to our knees, so to speak, as he did with St. Paul. He drives us to be people of prayer, of penitential prayer. And we pray penitential prayers like that of Psalm 102, where we read, Hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me and answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groanings, my bones cling to my flesh. I'm like a desert owl in the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. Because of your indignation and anger, you have taken me up and you have thrown me down. And my days are like an evening shadow, and I wither away like grass. That's the prayer of a penitential person who understands that their sin ever clings to them until their dying day. A sin that in many ways makes them hostile and resistant to God in their life. And when they recognize this reality in themselves, they pray such a prayer, do not hide your face from me, O Lord. We prayed a penitential prayer earlier this day, didn't we? We sang it. The Kiri, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy. To such people, to such penitential people, the scripture assures, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Our God abundantly pardons us, just as he did St. Paul. With our eyes wide open, by the power of the Spirit of the Lord... We see Christ's life and his death and resurrection for what they are. God stands in our place and he assumes responsibility and accountability for our sin so that God might ultimately pardon us. We see that death is defeated once and for all in Christ who is risen from the dead. Now when we look at Christ dying on the cross, we see not a pathetic figure there, a false messiah? No, but we see one, the Son of God, our Savior, the Lamb of God, who was slain for our sins so that through His slayed sin, through His, through his death, we might be cleansed and forgiven of our sin. And we know that through the life-giving power of God and holy baptism, baptism in His Word, we too experience a spiritual resurrection. We recognize we who were once dead, spiritually dead, are now alive. And so we come again and again to our Lord and we pray, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. It's the rhythm of our life. And as we live out that rhythm of life, God in his mercy reaches into our lives. And he focuses our attention on Christ. And he assures us that all of our sins are forgiven we're assured that not even death itself separates us from his love in Christ Jesus. And as we live day by day in this pardon and this peace, we too, like Saint Paul, become persuaders and proclaimers of Jesus Christ. See, the gospel consists not only in the fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, but the gospel is a message that is to be proclaimed It's to be announced that our sins are forgiven and when I announce to you like I did earlier in our service that by virtue of my office I declare to you that all your sins are forgiven God is actually forgiving you of all your sins. That's the announcement of God's grace and gospel flowing from my lips into your heart so that you know that because of Christ all of your sins are forgiven. And that's A blessing that God gives not only to me as pastor, but he gives to you as well. He gives you the privilege and the blessing of going to one another and announcing this gospel to one another. He gives you the blessing of being able to go out into your communities, first of all in your homes or wherever it might be. And again, to be proclaimers of this gospel, to be persuaders of the truth. And so when you encounter people in your life who may have doubts about Christ, he gives you, Jesus gives you the opportunity to persuade them to believe that Jesus is the Lord and Savior by sharing with them the words of Scripture. And just like St. Paul, just like St. Saul, when we are proclaimers and persuaders of Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ, we also become the persecuted. Sadly, we live in a time when Christians are being persecuted more than ever in this world. There is no more despised people in this world than Christians at this time. And even in the United States, we're beginning to see it, aren't we? I mean, I could stand up here and spend the next hour talking about different Christian organizations that are being persecuted because they stand upon the scriptures, biblical truth, well, an organization like the Catholic Social Services in Philadelphia, the Catholic Charities of West Michigan, the New Hope Family Services in New York, were all being litigated against. Why? Well, because when it comes to the adoption of children, they prioritize the placement of children that they serve in homes with, married, with a married mother and father. That doesn't sit well with some of the woke crowd this day. With the pagan crowd. And as a result, they litigating, taking these organizations to court, trying to shut them down so they can no longer be in the adoption agency business. During COVID, a state like Nevada made it a criminal act if you gathered together in worship. There was actually criminal and civil penalties being Enacted against Christians who were gathering in worship even while the governor allowed for casinos and restaurants and bars and theme parks to be open. So a Christian church in that state took the governor to court. And the church won. But it had to be a battle won in court, if you can believe it. And then there's individuals like Bob Updegrove who refuses to create messages that go against his deeply held, deeply held beliefs about marriage. There's the floral artist, like Baronel Stutzman in the state of Washington. There's Jack Phelps, who maybe you've heard about, the cake maker in Colorado. And there's Laurie Smith, the web developer in Colorado, who refuses to design wedding websites for same-sex couples. All of these people I've mentioned have either been taken to court or in court or whatever it might be, all because they hold to Christian beliefs and values and want to practice that in their business. And I mention these people by name because they're just simple Christians who got up one day to go to work and found that because they ordered their work according to their beliefs, that they were taken to court even going in some cases all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States of America. And even after their case has been heard and tried and the sentence has been sent, given one way or the other, either for them or against them, they continue to be persecuted. Now for us, the persecution may not be so blatant, hopefully not. Maybe the persecution will be a little bit more subtle. Maybe we'll be left off the invitation list of a party or something. Or maybe it'll be a sarcastic comment made about us believing something about like the, that Adam and Eve, you know, those mythological figures. It might be the rolling of, an eye, of the eyes of family members when you're at a meal, a family meal, and you suggest that maybe you begin the meal by saying a prayer. It might be that, oh, you're that holier-than-thou type person because you are intolerant of certain lifestyles. But whatever it is, we can be sure that even as St. Paul was persecuted for his faith, and even as Christians throughout the ages have been persecuted for their faith, and even as many Christians around the world are being persecuted for their faith today, we too can expect to be persecuted for our faith in Jesus Christ but we dare not be silenced because we have a message to proclaim a message that even like someone like Saint Paul before his conversion who was once an enemy of Christ became a friend and champion of Christ and there are many people who we know who may fit into that category And they so desperately need to know and believe in Jesus as their Savior. And so we began this message with the question, Who am I? In reference to St. Saul or St. Paul. But really the more relevant question probably for us is, Who am I? In reference to you and me. Well, who am I? Well, I'm a persecutor. I'm a persecutor of Christ because I sin against him daily. Who am I? Well, I'm a penitential person of prayer because I pray, Lord, have mercy upon me. Yes, Lord, have mercy upon me. Who am I? Well, I am pardoned. Jesus Christ died for my sins. Who am I? I'm a persuader. I'm a proclaimer of Jesus Christ. Who am I? Well, I'm willing to be persecuted for the sake of Christ because there is no greater message as I said before than for people to know that Jesus is crucified and risen from the dead that's who I am who are you I think you could say all of the things that I just said can't you may we go together into the world proclaim that Jesus is risen He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.